0: Welcome back everybody to the Tales Never Fails podcast. This is your host Parker Hurley. It is a Tuesday, which means it's a recap episode from the week 10 NFL games. Um, As always, we will kind of be quick with the introductions. We'll just give you a weekly review of everything that went down. We'll really just, you know, read off the box score necessarily as much as dig into some of the things that maybe aren't being talked about as much that could be underlying things moving forward. So uh, we'll just get straight into it with the Oakland Raiders against the Chargers. Uh, Raiders win 26-24. Raiders uh, get out to a 10-0 lead. And, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking early into this game, thinking that the Chargers may have potentially turned it around, you know, considering um, a missed field goal against Chicago gives them a win and then beating uh, the Packers – they get Melvin Ingram back, and they get their left tackle Okun back. And you really think about it, pass rusher and pass protector, two of the most important positions early into the game. Okun goes down. Um, you know they're right back to the fact that their offensive line is. You know Okun was just propping it up. You know to be a, just better than worse than the league. You know without Okun, it really is one of the worst offensive lines in the league. All of a sudden, the pass rush of the Raiders, which had been pretty much non-existent for the majority of the season. Max Crosby has come along in some ways as a, as a rookie, but um, and he really has flashed over number four overall pick, Cleveland Farrell. Farrell did have two sacks, his first kind of big game in this situation, but it really just came down to, you know, the early O-line struggles with Rivers. Rivers on a short week, just under that pressure that probably wasn't expected. You know, they're drawing up routes down the field. Um, he's just throwing up, you know, balls that are just getting picked off. Raiders go out to a 10-0 lead. Chargers adjust due to their offensive line. Start to get things going. Obviously, without the offensive line, it really was just kind of a slog to get things going. But they maintained time of possession and were able to get a 24-20 lead by the end of this game. But the Raiders, I mean, John Gruden, you got to give it up to him that this year he really did, you know, people kind of laughed at all of his decisions and everything that he did, but he's starting to put together, at least offensively, on um, the defense, you know, the personnel questions. We're going to see, you know, I think Max Crosby was a find, but we're going to see how well that draft class turns out. You know, Jacobs is obviously playing well, Finish it off with a run, but I really do credit a lot of this to Gruden, being able to um you know kind of drop some some great plays at the right time so he definitely still has that in his you know bag everything else is still somewhat questionable I know some people are saying Jacob's a rookie of the year I'm saying I think Murray is probably playing at a pace where he'll finish off with it so that is about it for that game the Raiders are trending to a spot where um, they could easily finish in in the playoff mix so it'll be interesting to see because they have the the Bengals on tap and that should be another win for them Onto the Lions in the Chicago Bears. Bears win twenty to thirteen. They go to four and five. Lions go to three five and one. These are two teams that probably aren't going anywhere. Um, the Bears. I mean, you look at them. They really needed Matthew Stafford to be out for this game, and obviously with Stafford out, things change. The line moves from you know a three point favorite to a seven. Uh, it ends up being pretty much a push, depending on how you got it, everything like that. But I know teasers for the Lions came in because. A lot of people were assuming Stafford was probably going to play. Um, he, you know, he had the longest streak of start of active games. He pretty much plays through anything, and they even said that you know the doctors forced him out. So they move on to Jeff Driscoll, who honestly, you know, he played. He didn't play terrible. He obviously, um, you know, huge drop off between Stafford because I was even saying, you know, Stafford's having a career year for sure. So huge drop off for him. But the fact of the matter is, the Bears were still in their Bears ways to start the game. You know, really couldn't get anything going offensively still, and Driscoll was just maintaining. You know, was just keeping his head afloat, and all of a sudden scores six nothing just because that's who, you know that's where the Bears are right now. Um, Danny Trevathan. Ends up getting injured in this game, which is a huge issue for the for the Bears moving forward. Obviously, didn't affect them necessarily in this game, but what you're going to really look into with the Bears is their run defense because without Akeem Hicks, they've really started to get shredded on the ground. I know McKissick broke one big run, but obviously the Detroit Lions aren't necessarily a they're not a run team as it is, but losing Trevathan is going to be a huge issue. He was, you know, their best run defender at the second level. He was struggling because Hicks wasn't taking up blocks at the first level. But now all of a sudden, you know, Kuiatowski—he is a run-first player—and it sounds like he's going to have to take over the play-calling duties because I don't know what's going on with Roquan Smith, but he hasn't taken that step forward. Um, I think he needs to take on the play-calling duties if you—if this defense needs to maintain. Because what teams are going to do is get Kuiatowski on the fields, get. Him him up and they're gonna throw um they're gonna throw, you know, to him and test him in coverage. That's where it's a huge difference between Trevathan. So it's really a huge ripple effect, them losing Trevathan. Um, so you're really looking at the Bears defense and saying, you know, these are kind of key players here. And um, like I said, they were able to, you know, it's six nothing, their defense was obviously playing well, Driscoll wasn't playing all that great, but then Mitch Trubisky right before the half kind of you know, I kept saying with him that okay, I never necessarily thought he was good but i did think that the fact that he's athletic and the fact that he has an arm that you know you could at least get something offensively out of him if you were you know any sort of and it just seemed like confidence wise he had no confidence within himself and even matt Nagy talked about you know you should watch the game uh you should watch the the tv copy just to see how you act and you know you look on the bench and everything look at your you know emotions and everything like that So um, he did start to come alive at halftime, so he gets a touchdown um, to go into the half and then comes out and drops another dime and, you know, really just, you know, impressive passes to the fact that he'll never do it consistently enough that you'll ever want to invest in him, but you can understand why that people can see and glimpse in, you know, flashes what Cherbisky's made of, especially he's athletic, but they just aren't letting him run. They're really trying to, I think, Feel like they're trying to prove that he's a pocket passer, here and um you know it dug him a six nothing hole. He actually did dig himself out of this one, and um but the fact of the matter is he wasn't able to put the team away. They go up twenty to six. Um they get a huge turnover by the defense that really aids it, and then you know the offense just sputters and sputters. Trubisky takes uh, five sacks by the end of the game. Montgomery's averaging under four yards per carry. They did move cody whitehair to center they're starting left guard he started at center last season um they noted communication as the key reason why mainly i think trubisky wasn't picking up blitzes um but trubisky talked about he was more comfortable rashad coward it's his first year starting at guard at right guard said he was more comfortable with the veteran presence next to him sounds like that's going to be something and maybe that can start to spark at least the confidence in trubisky because the fact is you know is Trubisky, they can win at least a couple more games if he just plays with a little bit of confidence. If he plays like he has, you know, those first couple games and even the first half of this game, then they have a serious issue. But yeah, you look at the Lions and say, you know, their season's basically washed now. 3-5-1, and one, a lot of what coulda, shoulda, woulda. A lot of looking at Matt Patricia, really, honestly, because you look at this defense, um, you know, giving up huge plays to Mitch Trubisky. It's just not... He's he's the defensive guy, you know, and he's just having some big-time issues, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do because it's going to be – they're really showing no sign of, you know, progression from the first year to the second, so – On to the next one, another one we can kind of get by quickly. Uh, The Bengals go to 0-9 with a loss, uh, 49-13 to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Thought, you know, maybe the Ravens on offense wouldn't be clicking on those type of cylinders, but did think that Finley was going to really struggle. And um, I don't, it's going to be tough to see Finley, um, you know, win a game in the NFL, just based on what you saw in that first start. Obviously, he was overwhelmed, but you look, you know, his offensive line, the situation he's in in terms of the play calling, it's very predictable. you know we're going to talk about Marcus Peters because really you know this game just ended due to the fact that um it's twenty one three, um you know it's probably over by that point but Finley's driving them down they potentially get points at the half he throws a pick six it goes to twenty eight three and from that point the game's over um, Lamar Jackson had that huge highlight run that was just you know mind bending and everything like that you know Cincinnati comes out early stacks the box. Protects the edges, forces Lamar in the pocket. Lamar is just dropping dimes all over their defense, and it's like, man, you know, he is he is a special talent. It's tough to you know be able to um, beat him. And I mean, you still look at his skill players, and um, Hollywood Brown played forty percent of the snaps in this game, and yeah, he had a couple you know big impact plays. But I keep looking and saying, you no, know, his best two receivers, talent wise. Are rookies, and both of them play about 40-45% of the snaps. Willie Sneed's, you know, getting shuffled in. Mark Andrews is obviously his top receiver, but, you know, he's also you know, a tight end that they take off the field in, in situations. So he's not even playing all the time. And Lamar is really just carrying this team. So, you know, a lot of people keep saying, Oh, you know, this isn't going to last. Oh, you know, the system is just built to, you know, specifically for him. It's like, you know what, he's just at this point, whether it be on, you know, with his arm, his legs, he's finding ways to beat teams. And it's tough to, you know, say that he's going to struggle. And I keep telling people that, you know, he's not taking these hits and, um, When RG3 was doing this, I kept saying that, you know, this isn't going to last with RG3. The way that he plays is just not going to be able to last in the NFL. The way you watch Lamar Jackson play, you're saying he's only improving as a passer, and once he gets receivers acclimated in his offense, it's going to be even tougher to defend, so... Um, it, you know they're gonna just consistently ride to the playoffs, and I keep thinking, you know, at this point, I feel like there's at least right now I have five teams that I think can win the Super Bowl. I really think the 49ers are uh, head and shoulders, and we'll see how they do on Monday night before I'm recording this. But I think they're, you know, the top threat. Obviously, the Patriots are gonna be in there. I think, you know, if the Chiefs, if Mahomes can get right, and then Lamar, and then um, on the other side, you know, Breeze. It's it's hard to say. We're gonna talk about that, but those are kind of the five teams right now, and that's why I keep looking at the 49ers saying they could do it. But also, you know, the Ravens are that team that just if they get hot at the right time, they could be a team that, you know, they're they're tough to defend in all areas. And that's where you look at what Lamar did in this situation and say that, um, you know, okay, it's the Bengals. Okay, it's the backup quarterback. Okay, the pick six swung the game. But the fact that he was able to kill them in all areas and really just put it on him, it shows, you know, he's really progressing right now. On to the next game. The Cleveland Browns win uh, by three, 19 16. They move to three and six. The Bills move to six and three. Something we were talking about on the podcast saying, you know, there's a reason the Browns are favored in this game, and there's a reason the Bills are just a super fraudulent team. And, you know, it was hard to not see this one, you know, coming, even though it did come down to a missed field goal. I mean, you look at the Browns and just say, how can Freddie Kitchens last to the end of this season at this point? You know, he got one here, but you look at the talent level. And you look at, you know, the way that he's coaching in, okay, he was a good play caller or whatever, but he's mismanaging game after game and looks like he's consistently, the game's moving so fast for him that he's always a step behind understanding and figuring things out, you know, that, you know, some, that eight play sequence where he has the ball at the three yard line and he gets eight plays due to a pass interference call and, you know, they're not able to score on any one of them. They're up six, nothing, um, could have really put the game away or at least put it up two scores if you take the field goal given the fact that okay I just called seven plays and got absolutely stonewalled maybe I should just kick the field goal at this situation but even if you say okay I don't even hate him for going for it because that shows you know that he, he's you know risky and everything okay he's calling fades to Odell he's calling sweeps you like tosses to the outside when how did you get there you pounded the ball up the middle with Nick Chubb you know, and that's how do you get to the goal line and say you don't trust your offensive line, you don't trust to run the ball with Nick Chubb straight ahead. You try to get creative, you draw a pass interference, still try to get creative. It's like, no, just line up and put the ball in the end zone, you know, with your best player. And you know, you don't need to toss it to him where all of a sudden now you got Micah Hyde and everyone, you know, making plays in the backfield. Um, so it's just it's just the same old stuff from Freddie and then, you know, he calls the Bills are going for it on fourth down. Uh, It's like fourth and four, the clock's ticking to end the third quarter, and the Bills are trying to draw them off sides, knowing that the clock's just going to run to the end of the third quarter, and they get to make a decision on the other end of the field. Kitchens calls a timeout with like three seconds left. In a one-score game, he blows a timeout. Because they're not, like, they weren't, I mean, even if they went for it on fourth down, it's just an interesting situation that he would have called that timeout. And so the the, the Bills do actually go for it, and he catches a break there, but it's crazy. And, you know, you look at Josh Allen and say that as much as Kitchens wanted to throw that game away, Josh Allen, you know, the same type of thing. they just come out and they throw the ball and they throw the ball and they throw the ball. And whether they're trying to develop Allen, whether they think that, you know, Singletary's a limited runner and he needs a um a pathway to get going. And they need you know, they always run their their jet sweep stuff and trying to get to him on the outsides, but on the outsides is where the Browns are really at their best defensively, so it was hard to get the run game going at all and it was setting up Allen for all these third down situations where he has to throw the football and he's getting torched or you know, he's he's missing erratically. And then it's fourth down. He's missing erratically. Um, he fumbled the football, you know, twice, I think in this game, and he lost one turned into a recovery for the bills at the one yard line that led to a touchdown, you know, a really lucky one that actually gave them a lead in this game, uh, 16 to 12 at that point. Um, so, I mean, Allen was just playing, you know, the same old Josh Allen, just really struggling in this game. And the Browns were just, you know, they, they like I said, they just, you know, gave the game away. On that, uh, on that fumble and everything. And then all of a sudden, it looks like they actually, Baker Mayfield tossed the game away, but it was a forward pass by him. Um, and they get the ball back. They go down and score. Landry has a big-time game because the Bills have two defined weaknesses. They give up chunk yardage in the ground game, and they're struggling in the slot right now. So that's where teams have been able to take advantage of them. And, um, you know, you look at the Browns and say, they're still, despite Freddie, you know, a couple good signs from Freddie were that he did handle – Chubb's still not necessarily, in my opinion, he needs to get the ball much more and they need to just run straight ahead with Chubb because I think it can work a lot more effectively. But they do need to keep Hunt on the field with Chubb because it adds a passing game element, it adds a jet sweep element that can help uh freeze the linebackers. But they need to commit to Chubb with Hunt on the field. It did work out how they kind of split the dichotomy this week, and it looks like Hunt will be at least a decent portion of the offense. They also benched. Uh, Antonio Callaway for Rashard Higgins. Higgins catches the game-winning touchdown, so... You know, Higgins is much more of the quick-passing timing routes with Baker Mayfield. That's exactly how you need to get Baker going. Callaway's the downfield shot player who's super immature and, you know, like I've talked about, just sets a very – it's the same thing as Hugh Jackson where he's setting a terrible example and everyone laughed at Hugh Jackson, but Kitchens is doing it. It's like, oh, he's just learning. It's like, no, he needs to get – he's doing the same stuff as Hugh Jackson, but he did bench Callaway finally and Higgins caught a touchdown, so there's no way they can bench Higgins now. So hopefully because – um they finally got a win and, you know, something finally went their way and he still looks like he's struggling, but, um, a good win nonetheless. And the bills are, they're fraudulent and they have clearly defined weaknesses and, um, you know, any decent quarterback, you know, Baker proved that he's as bad as he's been, he's still better than Josh Allen. So on to the Colts and the Miami dolphins, the pesky Miami dolphins moved to two and seven 16, 12 win over the Brian Hoyard led Indianapolis Colts. And I mean, something we've kind of been talking about and I thought off of a win it was going to be interesting to see you know they kind of pop that one off it's going to be interesting to see how they come back um for this game but g- got to give it to brian flores he's i think he's going to be a really good head coach and i really do you know despite the fact that they're um it, it honestly probably would have been better if they lost this game 17 16 you know for if, if everyone's being honest but the fact is that he's bringing them to play every single time and the fact that he's instilling something In these players, and the fact that he's he's drawing up good defensive stuff, there's just no doubt about it that everything he's bringing from New England is great stuff. And um, it's clear that he's smarter than Matt Patricia. You know, the fact that he's one win away from Patricia, um, Patricia's three five and one, he's two and seven. This tells you a lot about Flores. So I I gotta hand it to Flores, and I think that the fact that he's getting this out of them and he's showing this progression. I think that gives you almost enough faith that you say, okay, if we're number two or number three overall, maybe, you know, I still think they're in, you know, even next year, I think they're not going to win a lot of games, but good for Flores. And, um, you know, another thing is that he knew Brian Hoyer due to the fact that Hoyer spent two or three years in new England with Brian Flores. And, you know, Flores was against him in practice all the time. So the other thing is that you learn that, um, Hoyer had no time to prepare. They used all the time to give Jacoby uh, Brissett snaps. Jacoby Brissett was the emergency quarterback, which shows that you know if they're going to lose a game to the Miami Dolphins, Jacoby's going to play next week. I think the line's already up for the Colts game next week, and you can just assume that Brissett's going to play. Like I said, they gave him all the snaps anyways. So Hoyer, with no time to prepare, with no snaps, with the starters against a you know defensive coordinator who knew him, you know we probably definitely should have seen that coming that was definitely a bad call by me I was definitely overthinking that one um but yeah I mean the other thing is like I said it could have been 17 16 easily of Vinatieri misses two extra points um he's about he's like 68 percent I believe this season for extra points so um he you know he cost them a game against the Chargers due to missed field goals he cost them a game against um Against the Pittsburgh Steelers due to field goals. He cost them a game in this situation because you look at the score and say, Okay, you scored two touchdowns, it's sixteen to fourteen, right? If you make your extra points. And the Colts turned the football over at about the twelve-yard line. They went for it on fourth down and they were about two yards short, so they went for it. or yeah, they were about two yards short, so they're about about twelve-yard line instead of ten. They could've kicked the field goal to win the game, go up seventeen to sixteen, um, but they missed two extra points and they were down by four instead. And, if they, you know, even if they were, do you really trust Adam Vinatieri at this point to win you a game? And, you know, a lot of people are getting defensive about it in the locker room, but, you know, he needs to retire because, you know, it's not on the Colts. You know, the, I mean, it is on the Colts. They need to make that decision because it's going to cost him a playoff spot here, but he needs to retire because he's, you know, ruining it for him. Um... But you do look, that offense was lethargic. Even Quentin Nelson talked about how he thought the team was looking ahead. And like I said, they were preparing Brissett as if, you know, uh, and you look at the Jaguars on deck and you're saying, you know, we're, you know that they, they may have just been looking for Brissett to come back against the Jaguars for a huge game, and they just kind of skipped ahead of the Dolphins and it really caught up to them. So it'll be interesting to see how the Colts bounce back. I still think they're a well-coached team, but definitely a miss a mis-evaluation uh, here of, of what Brian Flores was doing, you know, not enough people are putting stock in that, but nonetheless, they win that game 17 to 16 if they have, you know, if they have an NFL kicker. <laughs> On to the next one, the Minnesota Vikings get a huge win against the Dallas Cowboys, uh, 28-24, they go to 7-3, and three. Dallas goes to 5-4, and four. I was talking about how, you know, my numbers are saying you got to take the Vikings here, wasn't, you know, too sure, but, you know, it bared out that they are right now, they're the better team, especially defensively. And both of these teams are overrated defensively. But the fact of the matter is there's a huge gap between the Vikings and the Cowboys defensively. And they're actually pretty similar offensively, especially um, if when they can get that run game going, Minnesota. And they obviously got it going in this game. You know, they spent a decent portion of the game in the lead, which obviously helps that. You know, Dallas goes on a long drive. They miss a long field goal in um, Minnesota comes right down and scores and all of a sudden the score was 14 to nothing. Minnesota really got a lot going early into that game. Dallas is able to fight back with their passing game because you do look at Minnesota's cornerbacks and saying that you know they're struggling big time. Trey Waynes is down, down and out for the game. Um, Mike Hughes is um, really getting torched um, coming back from an injury. Xavier Rhodes has clearly lost a step. You know, all of a sudden Minnesota is heavily reliant on their pass rush here, and Dallas's offense is so talented when they can get it passing. Amari Cooper, you know, is you know what one of the five best receivers in the NFL right now. Um, at the rate he's playing, and you know, continuing to ascend upward. You know, considering he's even playing through an injury, and you're seeing him, you know, just torch. Um, whether it be first-round Mike Hughes, first-round Trey Waynes, first-round Xavier Rhodes, you know, Amari's torching them all at this point. But Minnesota clearly came in with a game plan that, you know, it just seems like Dallas in these primetime games, they just want to run the football. And uh, they always do, and Minnesota just came out and just stuffed the run heavily. They loaded up boxes big time and you know okay they took these sacrifices in the passing game but they knew that Dallas had these inclination to run the football and consistently pressed on them so um you know it's back and forth Minnesota misses an extra point and they're down 21-20 they go on a 10 play 75 yard drive which is all running plays and they're able to punch it in from the 1 yard line um and take a 28-21 lead they do pass it on the two point conversion but um then Dallas drives right down the field and they're sitting there at fourth down where you could go for it. It's 28-21. I forget necessarily how much time was left. Um, and they obviously did get the ball back. But you could go for it right there and, you know, tie the game. Or you could go down four and kick it off to them. I think there were seven There were seven minutes left in the game. You know, and you're looking at that running game and saying, you know, how much time are you going to get with the football left? So, all of you know, that's, in my opinion, I think they probably should have went for it at that situation. But nonetheless... Uh, it was an impressive performance for Minnesota. They were able to get their ground game going. Their pass rush saved their secondary, and the fact that they were able to completely load up on the run game. And even Dallas on that last drive, you know, they're having all the success passing the football and they go run, run on first and second down inside the 20. Um, Dak talked about how he liked the play call because it was to kill time, which, yeah, that necessarily was true. But, it, you know, honestly, early into this. Uh, Drive, they're actually hurrying up, and I'm like, man, they're playing fast for you know this two-minute offense, and they get down to the goal line, they're putting around, and they they don't score by the end of it. So, um, you are starting to look and say that um, you know I, if they don't make the playoffs, it's going to be interesting to see if Jerry Jones fires Jason Garrett because whether or not Chris Richard's defense is overrated or not, he's getting head coaching buzz as a defensive coordinator. Whether or not you think that Garrett has a hand in the play calling or not with Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore has buzz. And you're looking at Garrett and saying, you know, you got Cooper, you got Zeke, your offensive line's healthy. Um, You just added Bennett. You have Lawrence. You have the two linebackers. You have, you know, all this talent that if you need to, you know, if you're losing these games due to critical decisions, whether it be, you know, kicking the field goal and missing it early in the game, kicking the field goal and making it when you're down one possession in the fourth quarter, um, or it be, you know, running the football in these, you know, to start games and whether it be running the football in tight situations when you're trailing, all these situations are going to eventually lead up to Garrett who, you know, you are looking and saying, okay, Seattle has two losses. Um, and, you know, there, there was San Fran's division, you know, green Bay and Minnesota are dueling, you know, that's probably two of the wild cards, you know, can Philly and Dallas, you know, if if they don't win that division, it's going to be tough. And now they're tied with Philly, and they have a game against Philly. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that team. You know, this situation because they're too talented to be five and four right now, and especially with that loss to the Jets, it looks worse and worse every week. On to the next one, the Green Bay Packers. Twenty-four uh, sixteen over the Carolina Panthers. Green Bay moves to eight and two. Panthers to five and four. Um, you know, disappointing game for the Panthers when you kind of look at it, and you know they obviously finish what a half of a yard short from making it a potential. Um, you know, giving them a chance to tie the game at the end. Um, but and they, you know, there was controversy about going for two and stuff like that. I think the math backs it up that you should. You should, when you're down two scores, go for two if you want to actually win the game instead of play to tie the game. So, I mean, you know, what what do you play for? You know, tell us, Herm Edwards. So, you know, okay, they were down by eight. And like I said, they lost really necessarily. They lost um, one yard short that you could have argued they could have scored on that yard. And you also could have argued, you know, we're going to get to that red zone. Not only red zones, you know, scoring, but that drive at the end of the game, but, you know, Carolina gets off to an early lead and then it's seven, seven. Um, and then it's, it's ten seven Carolina. Aaron Rodgers has, you know, just the stupidest penalty where somebody lands on him in the end zone. They said they put all his weight on him and all of a sudden it extends a drive for the Packers. They're able to get a 14 to 10. Um, and then you look at Kyle Allen and say that, um, he really, you know, kind of gave this game away where, um. Okay, it's his first snow game, you know, he's this UDFA player, everyone's kind of, you know, making all these excuses for him, and I'm kind of saying, you know, well, he's been in, you know, what, this is like game six or seven for him, and there was, you know, Ian Rapoport is writing about how um, they're going to try and give him an extension this season while he's cheap and things like that, and I'm sitting here saying, you know, Green Bay still looks to me overrated, you know, they're giving up big-time chunks on the ground, McCaffrey was obviously having his way on the ground, and, you know, they're still struggling in terms of their secondary, especially on that last drive. Kevin King was giving up big time receptions. But nonetheless, like I said, it's 14 to 10. Kyle Allen puts one on the ground, it's like his eighth fumble of the season. Um, you know, his pocket presence, I talked about in like the first game against Car- uh, the Cardinals, he actually played well, but I said that pocket presence is, is nerve-wracking, and it hasn't gotten any better. He's so oblivious to everything around him. I, I talk about, it, he's like the opposite of Mason Rudolph, where, you know, Rudolph is such a perfectionist that when something goes off, he freaks out because he's, he knows everything and everyone's responsibilities, and when something's not exactly to plan, that's where something triggers for him. For Kyle Allen, he has no idea what's going on. Like he's just out there playing. And you know some of the guys are saying and the beat writers and the coaches are saying, you know, really like the way he plays. Really like the way he bounces off of these turnovers. You know, doesn't let him get to him. And I'm saying, you know, it's because he's oblivious to all of this. He's just going out there and playing. You know, he, what well, he's a he's a recruit, former top recruit, highly athletic, um, you know, has a decent arm and he's just going out there and playing football. And you know, he he you know, puts one on the ground again. You know, he's taking these big time sacks. It's 21-10 coming right off of the turnover, and then he drives right down to make it 21-17 and throws a really just awful red zone interception that got tipped in the air, but the fact is it should have got picked the first time. You know, the guy that tipped it in the air should have actually probably picked sixth it. Um, You know, he just, he had no idea this guy was um, undercutting his route, you know, threw it a little short, Gets tipped in the air, intercepted into the end zone. Next thing you know, it's 24 to 10, and that's where they're able to, you know, come down and drive again, make it 24 to 16, and then that's where you know they lose it at the goal line and everything like that. So, um, not the most impressive performance in my opinion from Kyle Allen. Although everyone's going to talk about that last drive and how close he got. And you know, like I was saying, Kevin King's playing big time off coverage. And you know, you look at these weapons and you're saying, um, you know, DJ Moore is ascending into a superstar receiver. He's not getting the touchdowns that signify. what he's doing. On the field, but he's really you know he's only 22 years old and he's emerging as one of the best receivers. I think in three years he'll be arguably the best receiver in the NFL. Curtis Samuel is like a four-three guy who just runs you know from Ohio State with pedigree who can run deep, get open. Um, Samuel's connected. Uh, Allen connected with him. Olson's hauling hauling in all these passes. You can tell it's his last year, by the way, that he's acting on the field. You know he's just you know when Allen misses him wide open, when Allen misses him, throws the ball five yards behind him. You know, you can tell he's ticked off, and you can, you know, he went to bat for Cam Newton on an ESPN radio show, and he called a, a Thursday, or he called a game on his bye week already, and he's got, you know, he, but he's playing outstanding right now, and you look around and you're saying, you know, they're playing you know, with McCaffrey and everything, they're figuring this out, and they were one yard away. And, you know, on that goal line situation, it just seems like, you know, you're trying to throw it in with Kyle Allen. You're trying to throw it in, and, you know, he's missing McCaffrey wide open in the flats, which is like, it's your best player. He's wide open in the flats. Just throw the football to him. And, you know, he's not doing that. And, you know, because like I said he's just so, he's so oblivious. Like, they're trying to make him the hero of this game. And all the beat writers wrote after the game, oh, what an impressive, gritty performance. And I'm like, he has all these skill players. And he still could have win the game when it was like it was on his plate. Like it was right there. And they should have just ran it in with McCaffrey on first down, second down, third down, and fourth down and just ended it there. But no, Kyle had to throw it in. And then, you know, eventually it's fourth down and it's like, oh, on fourth down we have to run it in. So, you know, I thought that that kinda of frustrated me. And I just feel like they're trying to make Allen a thing when they don't necessarily have to you know he's a UDFA they drafted Greer in the third round they can play this as they want to they don't have to make Allen a thing to justify moving on from Cam Newton this offseason they can just move on from Cam Newton this offseason and figure it out there so I mean it's it was disappointing um, and James Bradbury didn't play which really helped the Packers with uh, Devontae Adams and you really look at the Panthers defense and you're saying okay they're getting sacks they're getting turnovers but um, where they're really struggling is against the run and Green Bay was able to consistently provide a running game So they're eight and two. I really think that the Panthers blew that game more than the Packers won. But I mean, I feel like I've said that seven weeks out of the eight wins. So you have to look at Green Bay and say that, you know, they're finding ways to win. I'm still not necessarily all that impressed with what's going on right now. On to the most surprising game of the day, the New Orleans Saints coming off a bye, go seven and two with a 26 to nine loss to the Falcons who go two and seven with the win. Impressive win for the Falcons off the bye. Um, Talked about how Julio made some impassionate speeches. Um, And they changed up some of their defensive uh, calling. Dan Queen gave up the play calling duties. They moved Raheem Morris, a former head coach, to secondary's head coach. And all of a sudden, you know, hey – it was obviously their best game of the season. It was benefited by six sacks. A lot of that had to do with Grady Jarrett, who was just straight up the gun on the New Orleans Saints. You know, their starting center's a rookie coming off the bye. They looked a little slow overall. And Breeze, I mean, you know, nobody's going to start a controversy about, you know, the Breeze-Teddy Bridgewater or anything like that, but... You know, that was, you know, the worst game that they've had by a quarterback so far this season. I mean, the first half of the Cardinals game wasn't necessarily all that great either. And I talked about how he's not pushing the ball more than 10 yards down the field. And he didn't necessarily do that either this game. They tried to get Traquan Smith involved in their offense as their kind of next weapon beyond, uh, beyond Jared, beyond, well, they tried to get Cook involved and that didn't really uh, work out too well either, but they tried to get Smith involved um, beyond uh, Kamara and Thomas and really just ended up being you know they're heavily relying on Michael Thomas and Kamara's coming back from an injury and like I said up the gut their offensive line was getting torched by Grady Jarrett and you look at Drew Brees and he wasn't able um you know he's getting older he wasn't able to move in the pocket and was really kind of taking those sacks um you know looking for other things to develop and when he's not getting those quick passes out he's not able to extend plays and he's not pushing the football down the field so you do look at their offense and say okay you know Thomas is Obviously, a stud receiver can beat any, you know, matchup. Kamara, once he gets healthy, their offensive line should be fine, although McCoy is a weak spot, and that's interesting to see that that was, you know, one of their weakest issues uh, in this game. And, you know, coming off the bye, it seems like they overjudged a division opponent, and um, Sean Payton talked about that. He talked about how they, you know, got beaten every facet of the game, got outcoached. Lattimore left the game, kind of opened up the passing game for Atlanta, but yeah, they were kind of able to establish a lead. The Saints went on, you know, sometimes long drives that sacks would just really ruin, um, and they ended up, you know, kicking field goals um, in, in you know, goal line situations. So, not an impressive game for the Saints, pretty impressive for the Falcons. Um, looked like Devontae Freeman got banged up. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to be healthy. They went to Brian Hill. Um, pretty much solely whenever he uh, whenever he got hurt, so he's kind of the fantasy guy. I'm not the biggest fan of Brian Hill, and I really don't like their offensive line either. But if you have Freeman, you really have to pick. You know, you better have Hill of of the group. But we'll see. Um, he is definitely um he has some you know power and explosion, but he's not a he's not a big time open field player. So we'll see about Brian Hill. But nonetheless, yeah, Atlanta at least they stay alive, and Dan Quinn keeps his job because you know every week it seems like I keep Thinking his job's online, but it's they really said that this week his job was on the line, and um, yeah, it wasn't. They, you know, or he ended up winning a game, uh, or the players really showed up for him off of the bye where they probably could have just mailed it in this season but didn't. So and that that shows why they probably kept him for at least this game so far. On to the Jets and the Giants. Like I kind of talked about, I mean, sure, they're both dumpster fires, but the public perception of the Jets being a bigger dumpster fire than the Giants gave you value on the Jets this week, and they did come out 34-27. They go to 2-7. and seven. Giants go to 2-8. and eight. Darnold um, started to look like a bounce-back game. You know, he comes on two straight drives, goes on some touchdown drives. I think it was like 8 of 8 to start the game. Obviously hit some snags, missed a flea flicker that really could have opened the game up, but um, – Nonetheless, he played really well. You look at I mean, the Giants and Jets, both of their defenses are just absolutely awful. Uh, you know, Nate Harrison, the Jets' defense is just getting torched in the back end. They have a decent front, and they were throwing a ton of blitzes at Daniel Jones, where he looked really confused, and um, he's turned the ball over a couple times. And, you know, one of them was to Jamal Adams that ended up going back all the way for a touchdown. So, I mean, you know, both secondaries, you know— Missed tackles on the Golden tape play, Uh, Darius Slayton with, you know, two touchdowns, everything like that, you know, so the Jets defense really didn't show anything other than Daniel Jones, you know, and even Saquon, you look at Saquon's pass protection, it's a huge issue right now, and, you know, he's coming back from his ankle, so he's a little less explosive, Um, he's, you know, he's not necessarily destroying it in the passing game, but the pass protection to where, you know, he's not picking up blitzes, the fumble, you could argue as much as that's on Jones, and like I kind of said, you know, he stands back in the pocket and stands back in the pocket, and he's really, you know, waiting on things to develop and kind of having faith that things can develop down the field, but um, Saquon is really, you know, struggling in pass protection, they started to have to take him off the field because teams would know to blitz, or the Jets were knowing, to blitz to his side. And, you know, all of a sudden, the second round pick is, you know, having issues to where he's not a, a huge impact in the passing game. That's a serious issue, you know, and they're forcing the ball, their tight ends, like I kind of talked about, even without Ingram in there, was a huge issue. So the Jets did just enough. I don't think it was all that impressive. The difference kind of was that turnover by uh, Jamal Adams, but Yeah, I mean, they did just enough. Their offensive line is still a huge liability. And, you know, it did show that, you know, at least Darnold had, you know, the confidence to come back and play pretty well in this game. So we'll see how he he trends moving forward. But um, yeah, just a really disappointing game. And I mean, yeah, of the two, I still think Gase has a better handle of his job because their offensive line so bad, their secondary so bad. I think they're looking at the personnel and saying this is a personnel issue more than coaching. And I mean, it could be both, but they're saying this is a personnel issue. The Giants, I think, are looking and saying, you know, we traded assets that are on the team for Odell Beckham, and they're not showing the progress. You know, Jabril Peppers a pretty good player, but um, you know, the fact that Shermer was able to get out coached by Gase not a great sign for Shermer right now. On to the next game, Uh, Tennessee Titans go 35-32 over the Kansas City Chiefs. Impressive win for the Titans. Really disappointing loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. But I kind of walk away from this thinking that the Chiefs, at their 6-4 record, are probably going to be a buy opportunity here soon because um, people are going to start looking at the record and they're going to start talking about Mahomes has three of these losses in his starts, and yeah, that is true. But I thought this would be a game where – Maybe they do um, come out a little bit slow, and they really didn't necessarily. Mahomes looked pretty good. He was limited in some capacity, but he came out and played well. So I'm really um, excited about you know how they how they played offensively. They were able to put up 32 points against this team. Uh, they. Shady was inactive, and Damian Williams was basically the starter. I mean, there's a real chance that Damian Williams could be um, a serious fantasy addition at this point in the fantasy season, so going to be interesting to see how that works out. The Chiefs are still trying to get their offensive line back, and you you look at the the Titans, and um, they're a pretty good defense, but they were no match for Mahomes for a majority of this game, but they were able to strike right back. A lot of it was with Derrick Henry. Um, The Chiefs were able to solve Dalvin Cook last week with Chris Jones coming back and Chris Jones had a huge fumble, a forced fumble in this game that kind of started the game off in the chief's favor. But nonetheless, the Titans were able to come right back on the ground, really strong performance for um, their ground attack. I mean, they're a team that when they can defend the run and when they can run the football, they're a sound disciplined team that, you know, just finds ways to stay in these games. You know, they're five and five, um, what like three and one with Ryan Tannehill at this point. So Ryan Tannehill, I mean, he's he's not you know a world beater, but he's certainly better than Marcus Mariota at this point. And you have to look and wonder, you know, if he continues at his pace, it's going to be interesting to see what they do this offseason at the quarterback position. Probably at least bring somebody in as competition, but um, Tannehill all of a sudden in a situation where he can thrive, where they're leaning on the run and it's setting up you know, deep passing from him, and that's always been, you know, when he gets that bootleg and he's able to throw the football down the field, he's able to have some success. So, it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do, but um, yeah, you look at the Chiefs. Uh, Tyree Kill had a huge game. McCole Hardman is just insanely fast, just ridiculously fast. And you know they go up 19 to 13. Derrick Henry has a you know a big time run that you know gives them the lead back. They go up 29, uh, 29, 20. Derrick Henry gives them a big time lead. It's 29, 27. The Chiefs, what they do is they kick a field goal to go up 32, 27. They actually get a stop, and with two minutes left, Patrick Mahomes has the ball. It's 32-27. You assume this game is over, but Andy Reid, you know, same old clock management issues from Andy Reid. I mean, they get the ball with like five or six minutes left. I think it was like five minutes left. They take like two minutes. They kick a field goal to go up five, which, you know, you probably would have rather just killed like three or four more, you know, three more minutes. I think that's all that was left in the game um, than kicking the field goal, but they kick the field goal, kick it back to Tennessee, get a stop. And then they go for another field goal to go up eight, but, um, it's a bad snap and the kicker just throws an intentional grounding actually is what it's called because he just threw the football just somewhere. Um, and so it's intentional grounding. It gives them, you know, it was a lot, it was a somewhat long kick as it is because Mahomes took a sack the play before because Reed just really mismanaged the clock. Um, whether it be up 29, you know, like I said, from up 29 to 20 to up 32, 27, um, or 29-27 to 32-27, just mismanaging the clock, mismanaging his play calling, um, like I said, Mahomes takes a sack and makes it a longer field goal. They get intentional grounding off of a missed field goal. Sets Tennessee up with insanely good field position. Tennessee capitalizes right off of that a couple plays later. Mahomes gets the ball back again, gets them in field position again, and they miss another field goal. Um, It gets blocked this time. So, I mean, you're looking at it saying, okay, you know, you can look at the Chiefs and say, oh, disappointing, disappointing, bad defense, bad defense. I'm kind of looking at it saying, Tennessee can run the football like you know not many teams right now can. Taylor Lewan had a bunch of penalties and he talked about that. And their offensive line is still coming together, but they're able to run the football well. Rabel you know makes his crazy decisions, but he gets his team to show up and be well disciplined every single game. And Reed's team was just a mess on the other side, and a lot of it came down to special teams, but a lot of it came down to game decisions. And um, you know a game where Patrick Mahomes three times got them inside the forty yard line under five minutes to go in the game, got three points out of it and um, you know, gave up more than they scored in that situation. So I'm still looking at the Chiefs saying they're gonna get Mahomes back and they're gonna be one of the best teams in the NFL. It's just this game was was a Rocky situation and it's a good good win for Tennessee nonetheless who, you know, they just keep hanging around. On to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 17, the uh, Los Angeles Rams, 12. Steelers move up to 5-4, Rams move down to 5-4, something I kind of talked about. The Rams are fraudulent. Steelers' defense is a lot better than you think. I think it all finally culminated together, and we finally kind of – everyone understands what I think has been going on for a while now. So um, one of our better positions of the season. And, you know, something I've talked about, Jared Goff is just a different quarterback under pressure. And when the Steelers are, you know, they're one of the best pressure teams right now and all four, you know, whether it be Hargrave, Dupree, and obviously Hayward is um really like the he's like the father of this defense who's really kind of um leading things together. When everyone talks about Watt and Bush and Minka, I think Hayward it's, you know, under talked about how great of a season he's having. And then obviously what, and you you look at this Rams offensive line and you're saying, okay, is the issue Goff? Is the issue McVeigh? Is the issue this this? And you're saying the issues, it starts first and foremost with the offensive line where, you know, Whitworth, um, you know, whether Dupree's pushing him around or, you know, Garrett's pushing him around or he's having issues. Um, not the all pro tackle that he once was on the right side. They're obviously struggling, um, getting torched up the middle, uh, you know, like I said, Hayward had a big game, Hargrave had a big game, and Goff, just, he doesn't like to step into pressure, you know, he would rather throw these, you know, sputtering little um, you know, whatever they're called and you know, I keep saying, you know, all I ever said about Mitch Trubisky was, I think he might at least be better than Goff, so you know, I didn't i didn't say he was necessarily good, but I don't know, I, I might, I'm probably wrong about that, Goff has serious arm talent, when he's playing from a clean pocket he can throw the football, but when he plays under pressure, he's just a completely different quarterback and when you look at this offensive line, they lost their center in this game, which is really huge, um, because all of a sudden, you know, Corbett's in the game, they're shuffling Blythe, Blythe to center, and I mean, Blythe is not necessarily even a good guard, so they're struggling big time, and you know, Sean McVay's having some serious issues too, um, in terms of his play calling, you know, he he, st- he started to go to Daryl Henderson a little bit more than Todd Gurley, um, but the issue is, Gurley was ripping off huge yards, Henderson's still struggling as a rookie, I think the Steelers defense, you know, wasn't really giving up any ground. Nonetheless, I mean, you look at the, you know, what, the Rams scored 12 points. Um, Mason Rudolph, you know, or Mar- it was really Marquise Pouncey, a fumble into the end zone, 7 nothing, um Rams. Mason Rudolph takes a sack. You can say, okay, play action into the end zone. But, you know, I keep saying, everyone says, oh, we want to put some faith in Mason Rudolph, put some faith in Mason Rudolph. Every time the team tries to put faith in Rudolph, he just, you know, he struggles and he makes mistakes. And okay. The receivers this week, I think, you know, had some serious drops. Juju had a drop. Deontay had a drop. James Washington had like a 20 yard reception that turned into a fumble and gave the football to the Rams. But Rudolph, you know, his, the way that he plays under pressure. And I talked about it with the Allen thing, the way that he plays when things are out of structure, um, you know, you're still concerned about him and, Okay, the play calling has, you know, the the baby, you know, whatever's on for him, uh, you know, the swimmies and stuff. And I'm saying well, now you're the Steelers and you're five and four and you're looking at the playoffs and you're saying, sorry about your development, man, but we need to keep those swimmies on you. And you need to, you know, not turn the football over. That's literally, you need to not turn the football over and the offense will be better in in some regard because they just can't find a way to get out of their own way. And they were able to win this game despite, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick takes a pass that he it's questionable whether, you know, you could say that Minka, you know, whether that was a pass by Goff or not, but nonetheless, um, so the Steelers are overly reliant on their defense at this point, but you start to look at you know the pedigree, the talent, the way that their defense is playing cohesively in the back end. Um, you start to say that this is something that could consistently trend in towards. You know, there's they're right now they're you know I I said it every week that you know I said oh they're going to be a top ten, they're going to be a top five, they're going to be a top three. You know now they're right there with the New England Patriots who you know potentially have just as many flaws. So. We'll see how the Steelers keep trending because at some point, you know, at some point they're gonna have they're gonna break at some point and the offense is gonna have to, you know, win a game. So it's gonna be interesting to see when that game is, that the offense will, you know, start to come alive and win something. So and you know, like I said, as much as I wanna say that, you know, Rudolph is obviously um, he needs to be safe, safer with the football in some regards, you know. And I, it's it's so tough because you know he needs to push the football down the field. And he needs to be safer with the football, but he's he's obviously struggling. But his receivers need to help him out. His play calling could help him out a little bit. So I don't think the Steelers are serious contenders, but their defense is as serious as you know anything. But also, you do look and say, you know. They beat Hoyer. They beat the Rams, who have some serious problems. And, you know, a lot of people want to say statement win by beating the NFC champions. And I'm saying, you know, these last four games, this is a new season. I don't know how great the Rams have been. So, um, still a really impressive uh, win for the Steelers, nonetheless, obviously. On to the Buccaneers and the Cardinals 30 27. Um, Bucks beat the Cardinals. Um, a funny situation because you know the Bucks go to three and six, Cardinals down to three six and one. But I talked about on the podcast. I was like, this game will probably stylistically play to the under, but you can't go under in this game. And by the time the game kicked, I actually had gone over. We took the over, and um, this that's exactly this game played to the under. Jameis threw stupid interceptions. Um, the Bucks tried to run the ball. They actually got. Uh, Ronald Jones going in the passing game, which we'll talk about. But um, Kyler Murray had some issues with his offensive line. He got held in check. They have their same red zone issues where they're just unable to punch the ball in from the red zone. I believe they had uh, six points on four trips to the red zone in this game. So they obviously hit some explosive passes. Uh, to Christian Kirk, who, you know, we kind of talked about. Um, you guys need to have Christian Kirk. The, they're going to throw the ball like 40 times a game. He's going to be the target of, you know, the majority of them. And he's the best receiver of the whole group, and he's healthy now. So um, you have to be buying Christian Kirk at this point, or, you know, you should have already. Bought Christian Kirk because now it's too late. Um, but nonetheless, you do look at the Buccaneers and say that defense, you know, and like I said, the fact that Murray got swa- you know swallowed up and he had his issues in the red zone. Jameis is turning the football over and he's having you know, they're having their issues in the red zone, and it's still it goes 30 to 27 plays to the over, and he needed Kyler Murray actually turn the football over in the red zone. Or not a, it it was like around the twenty thirty yard line, or I think it was in the red zone. Nonetheless, Murray turns the football over up twenty seven twenty three. The Bucs go down the field and make can pay for it. So, you know, Murray and Cliff, I actually, I'm, I'm still impressed with Murray. I think the way that he was able to hit those explosive passes down the football field, um, he's still tough to, you know, wrangle in and everything like that. And if they could keep him clean with some sort of offensive line, I think he, and, you know, some sort of receivers, you know, Shurfield, Um, Pharaoh Cooper, you know, I'm sick of, you know, seeing guys like this and you look at David Johnson, David Johnson just seems like, um, I don't know what, I thought his injury was like an arm injury, but he just looks a complete step slow. Um, it doesn't seem like, um, he, you know, it seems, I I think the writing's on the wall that Cliff, the new coach trades for Drake, he's got Edmonds, you know, they're both right there, which it, you know, where David Johnson is right now, talent wise, and he had a huge fumble that led the points. Those two are both right there talent wise. And there's just, you know... Breaking news that David Johnson's not going to be on the Cardinals next season. You know, they'll save some calf space. They'll be able to upgrade the offensive line. And then they'll have, you know, Edmonds and Drake. Drake right now is, you know, clearly ahead of David Johnson in the pecking order. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that, you know, kind of shapes out towards the rest of the season. Because it seems like Drake's kind of, you know, the guy to own. Or at least, you know, I think when Drake and Edmonds get going, they're going to put those two on the field. Um, And maybe, you know, you move David Johnson into the slot, because they they need some sort of receivers, you know. Fitz has his couple catches a game, but um, and he's still you know a talent, but he, you know he's not all that consistent. Patrick Peterson left the game with an injury, um, that's worth noting. But Jameis to Godwin has been like a serious issue the last like two or three weeks. Um, against the Titans, he threw two interceptions to Godwin. Um, there were timing routes. Bruce kind of said those were Godwin's mistakes. Um, Godwin, you know, Jameis threw a pass that he probably shouldn't have thrown. It was a badly placed pass. But you could argue Godwin could have fought for it that turned into an interception. Um, And he only had like, you know, four or five receptions Godwin did. And, you know, he had one that was like a 20-yard reception that got turned back due to a penalty. So he still could get going towards the end of the season. But, um, and it's still such a pass funnel for the Bucs. But yeah, like I said, Ronald Jones... Um, led the team in carries, led you know was the majority starter. You know former second round pick. Bruce has shown confidence in him. It seems like he could potentially be. The issue is the offensive line is so bad for the Buccaneers. And on top of that, how much passing game work can Ronald Jones get? He started to get some in this game, but then you look. You know the Cardinals are so bad against um, passes to the running back, and a lot of it was just you know quick dump offs or he's catching the ball um, behind the line of scrimmage. It's not like he's making plays in the passing game necessarily yet, but. You know the Bucks' defense is so bad that their offense is going to keep getting situations like this where they're going to get into these shootouts. And you know the Cardinals, um, you know, game management for Cliff Kingsbury, he's still a long way away. I think his offensive philosophy has some credence to it. I think, you know, he he started playing too fast, and his, his defense is on the field way too much, and it hurts his defense, obviously. And he started to slow down his pace. He's starting to understand the personnel. He's still struggling big time in game management, but he can call plays. And, you know, I talk about every week, Freddie Kitchens gets worse and worse and worse. Every week, I think you could say Cliff gets better, and every week, I think you could say Murray gets better. So they're having their serious issues But there's at least some sign of growth every week, in my opinion. Whereas um, you could also say for the Browns that they're having less penalties than they've had. But really, you you know, Freddie continues to look overwhelmed, whereas Cliff still looks okay. And, um, you know, Bruce, he 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 loses every challenge he calls. um, And then he threw another challenge and actually had to burn a timeout because he didn't have enough challenges because he lost so many challenges. So um, interesting to see. You know, like I said, I think Leftwich has a lot of control in uh, in Tampa Bay. On to the Thursday night game, which is a good time to bring up Freddie Kitchens because, you know, like I keep saying, it seems like every obstacle that he has to face he's struggled with. And now this will be the first time we see him on a short week. Um, His team's laying two and a half points. The total is 40 Um, You know, you look at, hey, they were laying a a firm three against the Buffalo Bills by the time that kicked off. Uh, The Bills are six and three. The Steelers are five and four. The Steelers are a half point better than the Buffalo Bills, you know, at least at this point. I think, you know, the Bills are going to play the Steelers in December. We'll see where the spread is by then. But nonetheless, you know, you're saying that the Steelers are pretty much a better team than the Bills. And you look at that game and say, okay, the Browns are clearly a better team than the Bills. But why were the bills in that game for so long and why were the bills a field goal away from sending that game to overtime and why did it look like with 2 minutes left in the game that baker mayfield just threw the game away and the bills were you know going to uh, return a touchdown and go up 22 to Because, you know, they're still poorly coached. They're still struggling um, in-game situations. They're starting to get their offense going. And there's a chance, you know, the Steelers' defense, like I keep saying, there's, at some point, this defense is going to have to break and give up some type of points. And, you know, Chubb's starting to get going. Hunt's starting to get going. Uh, Callaway is benched, and they got Higgins going a little bit. They're getting the ball out of Baker's hands quicker. But you still look, and the Steelers, you know, are going to rank second in pressure rate. And the Cleveland Browns offensive line has big time issues. You know, you're going to get Hubbard versus Watt. You're going to get um, Greg Robinson against Bud Dupree. They're just going to have serious issues being able to protect the edges. And then, you know, in the back end, Hayden will probably follow Odell around. They'll probably, you know, have some success there. You know, the Browns will have success running the football with Chubb. And it's situations I think Higgins can get open. And if Baker can connect with him in quick passes, they can have some success there. But overall, and like I said, there could be a chance where the Steelers defense on a short week traveling. But I do. I just look at Freddie Kitchens on a short week and I look at Mike Tomlin on a short week and I just have a hard time trusting Freddie Kitchens, you know, laying two and a half on a short week in this situation. So we'll see. But um, I would lean towards the Steelers defense being able to shut them down. But you look to the you know Steelers offense. They're going to have um, their issues as well being able to score the football. You know, you look at the um, Browns, they rank, what, fifth in pressure rate right now. Um, Rudolph really has struggled against pressure. Um, the the uh, only other team he's played in the top five under pressure was the San Francisco 49ers when the defense turned the ball over five times and still found a way to lose because the offense couldn't, you know, capitalize any points off of that. So they're going to have some issues there. The good thing is that this defense is susceptible to being beat over the middle of the field, um, if they follow Denzel Ward with Juju, it's going to be hard to see Juju having a big game. If Juju can get in the slot and get on um, you know, some of their linebackers and safeties and things like that, I think Juju could take off and have a huge game after the catch. So um, I think Juju's a sneaky... DFS play potentially, but all of the other stuff, you know, I think Connor will come back. They'll rely on the running game. Um, I just don't think they're going to have all that much success, to be completely honest. I think it is going to be another, you know, 17-14, 16-14 type of game. Um, But I think, you know, in that situation, you would take the points with the Steelers, potentially tease the Steelers in the under. Um, I think it's going to be another low-scoring game where, you know, these two, you know, quarterbacks under pressure have some issues. And like I said, I just don't trust – in-game management of Freddie Kitchens, and I feel like he, his team would come out slower than the Steelers would, you know, knowing the Steelers are now in playoff position, and, you know, Tomlin's not going to take anyone lightly, let alone a division rival on the road who has been predicted all season to beat the Steelers. So um, Tomlin's obviously got this one circled, and it'll be interesting to see how he comes out. It'll be more interesting to see how Kitchens comes out because um, his team arguably, you know, Baker's better than Rudolph. There's just no doubt about it. They have more talent right now um you know, they're close to each other. Uh, they have more offensive talent, I would say, than the Steelers, but the Steelers have much better offensive line, so it's hard to say that. So um, either way, I like the Steelers. I like the under. We'll catch you guys next time. Um, hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions.